0: And in June, we have this pattern as a community. Uh, The pastors and the elders, we get away, and we get away for a weekend together, and we listen. And we say, God, what do you have for us? And we invite you guys to pray for us, um, because we know that disciples, those who follow Jesus, are ones who hear what God says and obey. We put it into practice, like Nichelle was just telling us this morning. So we create a weekend to get together to listen. And we write down what we hear. And then after we heard, we come back to you guys, and we want to share it. And we're not sharing as a way of dictating dictating to you saying, thus said the Lord. We want to share it as a way to you of saying, is this accurate? Have we heard correctly? Affirm this with us. Test what we sense God saying to us against what you know, who you know God to be. Test it against the scriptures that you may know. Um, Test it in your gut, in your intuitions, right? What God has given us. Test it. Affirm it. But And then help us to determine, is this accurate what we've heard? And then to say, yes, we've heard accurately. And now what do we do? And this is what we want to invite you in. And today, that's what I want to invite you to do. I want to invite you to listen and say, have we heard from the Lord? And if so, what's God saying? And then if we know he's saying something, then we have to ask, what do we do with this? That's what we're doing for the month of August. And I'm going to open it up today with that so that we can say, God, what are you saying? And what do we do about it? That's what Jesus said. Jesus said, hey, the wise person who hears what I say and then acts on it and then puts it into practice, that's the one who builds their house on a rock. So when the storms come and the winds blow, the house does not fall. I might have just mixed that story with the three little pigs, but they are very similar. (laughs) And so that's where you want to go. So here we go today. So, Father, would you open our ears to be able to hear from you? Would, you? would you speak? Would you bring your revelation? It is a gift to us, and it changes us. One word from you, God, changes everything. Breathe it out. Let it be planted deeply in us that we could hear it, receive it, and it would bear fruit a hundredfold for your impact and your good and for our good. So God, by your mercy, open our ears. Let our hearts be open. Let our minds be open to you. Stretch us. We pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So here's the word we heard. We got together and we prayed. And we kind of just had this way of deciphering and listening together. We have a communal process. And then we go for agreement. The word we heard that we believe that God was inviting us to emphasize, to highlight, to have in front of us is the word inclusion. Now again, that can mean a ton of different things, right? Uh, And so the part of this, all this time together say, what does that mean? If God is saying that he's, and we take it as, that God was longing for us, it's aspirational for us to be in an inclusive community, an inclusive family, this is the word. And today, I want to take that word and I want to blend it into the narrative of the scriptures and say, is this accurate? What could, what could this mean? And as we are going through it, we know that the word of inclusion sometimes can have political correct overtones. and That is great, right? But, but while we're here, we're really trying to be shaped as disciples of Jesus. So we want Jesus to be shaping this word in inclusion for us. That's the word that we've heard, and we want to put it into the narrative as this is happening, I'm going to have the ushers and Vince and his team, and they're going to be passing out communion elements. We've got the cup and the cracker. Just grab it, put it next to you, put it in the pew, put it in the little cup holder. Hold on to it, because we're going to take communion together. But we're going to go ahead and just pass that through as this is going on. So guys, thank you so much. So there's a juice, there's the cracker. Um, if you do get hungry, you can eat it, but I would prefer you to hold on to it. Sound good? Mother Teresa She has, and again, you can't go wrong, my brother Teresa, Iman, can you show us that, that quote from her? The problem with the world is that we draw the circle of our family too small. When I think of inclusion, it's this reality, it's this idea of having really distinct lines of who is in and who is out, who family is and who family isn't. And for so many of us, that circle of family is too small. It needs to be widened for the sake of people, for the sake of people flourishing, for the sake of people um, having social support, for the sake of people being loved. How big is the circle of family that you are included in? I have a friend who is struggling with depression because when he draws his circle, he can count two. And I don't know about you, but my circle's massive. But my circle's also messy. Right, my circle has been fragmented and distorted and hurt and retitled and and filled with also inclusion but also exclusion. One of the most painful memories of being excluded when I was like 10 years old. And when my dad remarried, my parents were divorced when I was around four, he remarried. And all of a sudden, I found out after the fact that he got married. You know, I wasn't, I wasn't invited to the wedding. And yet when we see the pictures of his new union to his new wife, who also had two kids and my family had three, there's a picture of all of them together at a wedding, going on a cruise together afterward. And I wasn't included. And it was a rift. It was, it was a rift, which is within my little 10-year-old heart and mind of saying, is this my family? Am I in or am I out? Am I included or excluded? What happened in that moment is I felt excluded. But also from that moment for the next 15 years, I was beginning to unsun myself as well. To say, oh, this isn't my family. I'm not going to make extra moves or attempts, right? Have you done that? Have you been excluded, but have you also excluded yourself? And I think that many of us have. But when we think about inclusion in the Scriptures, we want to look at the person of Jesus, and in the person of Jesus, in the mission of God was this mission to embrace. The mission of Jesus consisted of renaming and remaking people who are excluded, to rename them from all the lies that said, you're outside, you're inferior, not a part of the family, you're not a son, you're not a daughter, you're less than, you don't fit here, you're not clean, you're unworthy, right? Jesus' mission was to include by renaming and remaking. In his movement, there was a renaming that was taking part. There were certain peoples who were were considered to be not worthy, considered to be unclean, inappropriately so. And they had to be renamed. They were said, no, you're you're unclean. Certain foods were unclean. And if you ate those things, they made you unclean. For women, the natural flow of their body made them unclean. And Jesus um, implicitly, through the healing of a woman who who continued to bleed, her flow was consistent for 12 years that made her unclean. Jesus was saying, no, you are clean. It heals her. In our lives, there's a renaming of all the lies, and a part of this exclusion that's out there, we have Jesus who wants to rename and to remake us. The remaking is this part, the renaming is a part of something that says something is unclean that just isn't. Right? It's a lie about who we are that says you're not a son, you're not a daughter. You're outside, you're excluded, you're not a part, you're not worthy. For many, much of our country, of the United States, the birth defect of our nation has been racism. And it was the birth defect of, of our whole country. And in this birth defect, there has been a communication over people whose skin is darker that says you're inferior. It was communicated, it was lived, and it was a lie, right? It was a lie of saying you're not, you're not worthy. And the gospel claims it's, it's a renaming Of people saying, no, you are not inferior. You are my beloved son and daughter made in my image. It's a renaming. But it's also a remaking. Because there are some things that are actually unclean. There are some things that are actually broken. There are some things that are actually tainted and are not good. Jesus encountered demon-possessed people who were so broken, who were so oppressed that it, it, it caused them to fragment themselves from community. They were driven into the places of death and they lived in the tombs, right? They were disconnected. They weren't in their right minds. They were at war with themselves where they would hurt themselves. Do we live in a context of that? Are people hurting themselves, being at war with themselves, needing to be remade, and Jesus had this, this whole way of his inclusion, which was to remake people. It's called transformation. where he, the things that were not good, the practices of tax collectors who would use their power to take from others, the practices of prostitutes either being forced into it to survive, or as a way of making means, or just the practices of most of us who would sell our souls in order to get a little piece of the world, right? We need to be remade. And Jesus' work was to remake us, to transform us. That's what his inclusion is, is to rename and to remake. He wants to include us. So much so that when we look at the cross of Jesus Christ, right, that he wants to include us, not only just sort of us, but he uses this language of enemies. Jesus did. It's like, hey, I'm going to include not just people who are marginally outside. I'm going to include those who are the furthest from this. And Jesus' stance towards us and his heart toward the excluded is not allowing them to remain an enemy. And so what does Jesus do with this? He creates space within himself for the offender to come in, for those who have offended him, those who need to be remade. He creates space for them to come in. And he declares with boldness and with the megaphone saying humanity belongs with God and God will not be God without humanity right God will not allow humanity to be excluded from God he'll make space for them even as enemies and Romans 5 says this that while we are enemies we are reconciled to God through the death of Jesus Then, how much more have been reconciled will we be saved by his life so in the cross, in Jesus' crucifixion, it was Jesus giving up himself in order to not give up on humanity. So, the goal, the goal right? The goal, and this is what Miroslav Wolf says in his book, Exclusion and Embrace, and it's this whole book on what it is to embrace that I've been reading as we've heard this word from God. The goal of the cross is the indwelling of human beings in God, the indwelling of human beings. In the Spirit, in Christ, in God. Jesus himself, when he was getting ready to go to the cross, he prayed this prayer for us. Right here, John 17, verse 21. For all those who have yet to come, here's the prayer that he prayed as he has the cross before him. May they all be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. May they also be in us, that the world may believe that you sent me May they be in us. May they be included in our divine unity, our perfect communion, our perfect self-giving love. Could they be in us? Do you get what that means? Jesus makes room. God makes room for you in him. He makes room for you, an enemy, a broken, distorted. He's like, God, there's room for you in here to include you into the perfect union of God, the only thing that can actually transform us to be included into the perfect love of God. Where else are you going to be transformed? By yourself? How good has that worked for any of us? doesn't work for me. It doesn't work. Now, transformation happens by put, being put into inseparable, undescribable, unmeasurable Love that embraces you first. And our God is a God of inclusion. The culminating work of Jesus is is not just forgiveness, it's embrace. It's inclusion. The culminating work of Jesus. Forgiveness is the road to embrace, right? It's the road to being inclusion. And so... Let me use just one text. Let me jump into one massive story that's a story of inclusion that Jesus told. He told this story, because if you look at the life of Jesus' inclusion, um, as his own disciples would look at kids and say, gosh, they're getting in our way. They're stopping us from doing what we need to do. And Jesus, what? He included them. He welcomed them. He blessed them. He took time with them. Um, when there was lepers, when there was broken people, when there was people outside of the Jewish religion, Jesus was including And as he was doing so, as he spent time with sinners and tax collectors and prostitutes, the religious had a little trouble with that. And again and again, they asked this question, why do you eat and welcome people to the table who were sinners? Again and again, he's asked this question. And in Luke, Jesus answers it with three stories, parables. These were stories that every one of us could remember once he told them to convey to us the inclusive heart of God. That we would not forget that this story could be told. He didn't quote scripture because how many of you remember scripture? How many scriptures do you guys know? Right? It's limited. But a story you never forget. A good story you never forget. And Jesus told good stories, parables. And one of the stories is the story of inclusion. It's the story of a father and two sons. For those of you who have read the Bible or been to Sunday school, they call it the prodigal son, right? But it's a story. It's a story of a fractured family. It's a story of a father who has two sons, the younger and the older. And the younger comes to the father, and this is in Luke 15. He comes to the father and says, Father, give me my part of the inheritance that I can have it now. Now again, for us in our context, we hear someone asking for their inheritance early, and we think, oh, they're just trying to be independent, make their way, make their mark in this world, good for them, that's not so much an offense. But in first century Israel, to divide was against the ethos of family. You didn't divide. You didn't divide at what you have and go off and make your own way. You, you, you came together for greater protection and to increase and for this son to say, give me what is mine, he is fragmenting his family. He is unfamiling himself. He is unsunning himself from his father. He is disconnecting from them. He asks for all of his possessions, and his father does so. And so the father divides up the inheritance In that time, the younger son would get a third of it and the older son would get two thirds. So more than likely, they all know this, right? So probably give him a third of the inheritance and he goes off and it says that he squandered it. He goes off, he takes it all and he goes to a distant country. This is what the son does. This is this part. He severs, he cuts himself off from the relationships which define his very identity. One didn't do this. This isn't what You do. His breach was total as he gathered all that he had and he traveled to a different land. The goal was to unson himself. Even in his actions, when he goes there and he squanders it in wild living, that, that wasn't what it was to be a son. To be a son was to emulate what his family did to model the life of his father. And so he disconnects himself from behavior and ethos and he disconnects I'm not a son. I'm on my own. I'm going to this other land. And it doesn't go well for him. It doesn't go well for him at all. And he comes to himself and he begins to remember. He's in this distant land and he's so hungry. He spends all that he has. A famine comes. And all of a sudden while he's there, he has to hire himself out as a slave to somebody else. and, And his food is like the food that pigs eat. And he's like, I'm so hungry. And he begins to remember belonging He has this memory, right? This memory of being a son and belonging. And he remembers the other people that were connected to this family, the people who worked for his father, whom his father provided for. And he's like, they they didn't go hungry. There was was enough there. His memory is what ties him to this. He remembers belonging. His sonship is only a distant memory. He has been cut off, right? But the memory gives him hope to start a journey. He remembers belonging to something, but he's also very much reminded of his failure. You ever been done with that? Been reminded of your failures? He remembers being a son, but he can no longer be a son, pure and simple. He has unsunded his family. And to go back, he can't. So here's what he says in Luke 15, verses 18 and 19. I'll get up, I'll go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, which is God, he's saying. I've sinned against God and in your sight. That's a confession. This is his plan. I'll confess, and then I'll say, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. He states this plan twice. Do you get what he's doing here? Here's his plan. I've unsunned myself, so then I'll go to the Father, I'll confess, right, I'll confess this, and then I'll say, I'm no longer worthy to be your son. Make me a worker. I get that I have fractured this and there is no way to pull me back in. I'm only worthy to be a servant. I'm done here. That was his plan. His identity has changed and a relationship needs to be reestablished with a new identity and new expectations and new obligations. And that's what he's saying here. He understands that his identity has changed, his father's identity has changed and this is where he is. He's almost coming to grips with it. So he goes back, and this is when the story spins. Luke 15, verse 20. So he got up, and he went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him. And his son said to him, this was his plan. Father, I've sinned against you in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But did you catch what happened here that's really interesting? The father: the son has departed, has unsunded that, but the father has been standing and waiting and watching. The memory of the son has not left his heart. He has not moved on. His identity shifted. He was the father whose son is lost, whose son is dead, but he is watching, and the memory of his son is buried in his heart. And the memory is the loss of his son, not the transgression of his son, not the failure of his son, but the lostness of his son. And he is waiting and he is watching. This is the heart of God, waiting and watching with a memory, a memory of a loved one who is lost and dead. The psalm, Psalm 139 is this beautiful psalm. And many of us could think, well, how does this die to us, right? I mean, the memory of a son. Psalm 139 describes the nature of us being formed in our mother's womb, which was every one of you. And it says that God was there forming every bit of part of you. Every bit was being wonderfully made and crafted by the Father. He oversaw your bones being made. Every day and moment is written in the book of his life. He oversees it all. The thoughts of him are too numerous for us as he considers and he thinks of us and he dwells upon us. We have a God who has a memory. He has a memory of you that far surpasses your own memory of yourself and your own life. He has an own memory of you belonging to him as the creator of all things, as the redeemer of all things, and he watches. He watches for those who have been fractured from this relationship in some way to find hope and to hear this essence of belonging, who somehow come to themselves. And he begins to, he's on the hunt for any heart that is open. And, and the son's heart wasn't even there, but it was any move towards God. And God is already positioned and looking for those who could be included. He's searching, and he finally spots the son in the distance. And what does he do? He runs. He embraces. Now, you remember the son's plan? The son's like, I'm going to go there. I'm going to find my father. I'm going to confess. I'm going to tell him, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Now I'm worthy to only be called your servant. The father sees him from the distance. The son runs up. He's getting ready for his plan, but the father interrupts his plan. He runs to him. He embraces him, and he kisses him. Immediately, the son's plan is interrupted. It's interrupted by the overwhelming acceptance of the father. Confession, right? Because the son's plan was, I'm going to confess, and then I'll be made less than a son. But the father interrupts it and says, I'm going to accept you. Acceptance always precedes confession. Always. Confession is important. It restores relationship, right? It's so important. But man, God's acceptance, His running to us, His embracing, His kissing, that proceeded in this story confession. The father runs, embraces, kisses, kisses him. He interrupts the son's plan. The son goes back to his plan. And the son says, Oh, my father, I've sinned against you, I've sinned against heaven. That's found here in verse 22. Or at the end of 21, the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then verse 22, the father tells his servants, Quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it. And let's celebrate with the feast, because this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Do you get the second interruption? Do you remember the son's plan? The son's plan was this. I'm going to confess, and then my new identity is I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. I'm now called servant. That's my identity. That's my name. This is who I am. The father interrupts that plan, accepts him. The son confesses. He gets the first part of his plan out, and he's getting ready to launch into his plan. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And the father interrupts him. What does he do? Quickly. Get a ring and put it on his finger. Get a robe and put it on his, his body. Get sandals and put it on his feet. Kill the best animal and let's throw a barbecue. Hallelujah. In that moment, and then he says this, my son is alive. He names him, right? The son came into his plan saying, I'm no longer worthy. I'm excluded. Here's what the father does. He transforms him. He remakes him by clothing him, by by embracing him, putting a ring, saying, you're mine, putting sandals on his feet. And then he names him and he declares, my son is back. This is the work of Jesus, to rename and to remake. He includes him and he begins to celebrate. Now, the older brother hears about the party, because again, there's two sons and there's two stories here, because and they're both about um, wanting to be excluded the older brother hears the party, hears about his younger brother who has totally offended the family, who has totally done all this, who, who has ruined the order of the family, has messed stuff up and has returned, and all of a sudden there's a big party for the younger brother, and the older brother is angry. In verse 28, then he became angry and did not want to go in. So his father came out and pleaded with him, but he replied to his father, look, I've been slaving many years for you, and I have never disobeyed your orders. Yet, you've never given me a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. Do, Do you hear the narrative here? The older brother is very aware of the offenses of the younger. And some of these are true, and other of them sort of distorted. The older brother is, is very aware of the order of things that are being thrown out here. He says, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hold on here, Dad. The younger brother who squanders all that we worked for, when he comes back, shall we throw a party? So we throw parties for squanderers? Is this how this works? Is this how the order of our world works? I, I don't get it. I, I don't get how the younger brother who's messed everything up comes back and you throw him a party. Um, you're not acting right towards this, un, this, un, this younger brother hasn't acted right towards our family. And so there's a consequence for that. And dad, you're not acting right right now. You're not acting as a father should act towards a rebellious son. And so you're throwing a party. He's saying the order of things is messed up here. Now part of it is True. And part of it is an exaggeration. He begins to exaggerate saying, oh, I've slaved for all this. Oh, I've done this. you never thrown me a party. And the brother's partying with prostitutes. Now, he's the first one who said that in this text. So, you know, the brother's been daydreaming about something that his younger brother's been doing, right? That actually isn't there. That, that's in his head. He's the one who's making up these spots. But he says, oh, I've, I've slaved all this for you. And the father says to him, son... Everything that I have is yours. You're not slaving. It's all yours. And he says to him, it's like, you're not on the outside, you're on the inside. You've always been with me. As the older brother is trying to unsun himself in this same way, saying, I can't be a part of this family where the order is thrown upside down. The father is saying, uh uh-uh, I'm embracing you too, Uh uh-uh. I'm not letting you go. Everything I have is yours. But he's wanting to reorder things for the older brother. There is absolutely order. You can hear it in here. Absolutely saying, hey, yeah, the younger brother, it's not like we're going to divide everything up for him. Everything I have is yours. You've been with me. This is beautiful. But he is reordering something, and he says this, relationship always trumps rules. For the older brother, it was like, hey, it's black and white. If you do what's right, you're in and you're apart. If you do what's wrong, you're out and you're no more. This is how it is. Cut and dry, Dad. Don't you get it? You're either in or you're out. And the father's saying, no, 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 no. I, 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 we, I get the right and wrong. But relationship always is, a, is above. It always trumps rules your brother was dead and now he's alive we have to celebrate this is the inclusive God here's the final word Sonny said to him you're always with me and everything I have is yours that's order you're mine I'm yours everything I have is yours but we had to celebrate and rejoice Here's a reordering of what is important. The brother of yours, he is your family. We cannot unfamily him. We gotta make room for him. This brother of yours is alive again. He is lost and he's found. Relationship has priority over rules. This is the indestructible love of God. This is what I get the sense of this idea of inclusion that is rooted, that is richness into the scriptures, is painting a narrative for, what would it be like for us to allow that story, a God that renames us, who calls us and renames us son, daughter, beloved, the one who might find joy, a God who celebrates over us, who comes in and saying, hey, I'm going to clarify. No, here's your name. And also God who remakes us. We all need transformation. We all need to be recreated. We need all things to be made new. And this is the God who is including everyone into that story for those purposes. That's the mission of God, that we could be included into the perfect love of God, and that God would make room for us. I get a, I get a sense, and I read the scriptures and we hear the word inclusion, this is what it means. It means it's to be a people who are continually reminded of we're being renamed, we're calling out the lies of other people, of who they say they are, or the lies of what they think about their worth, and we're also letting people know that they are being remade, that transformation is always a part of the process of being in the family of God, of being recreated, the things that bind us being loose from them, those who are held down being set free by by the secret battles that they're living into. This is the mission of God. I could think of no better way today um, to close this service except with this picture of communion. And so you've got your your juice, right, and and your wafer. And Jesus himself created this moment for us, this this ritual, right, This, this moment where we could take a cracker or bread or whatever you have and, and, and wine. And remember, here's my body that was broken for you. Do you know how you're included? Do you understand how room was made for you? It was in the self-giving love of Jesus for us. And here's my blood through this juice that's going to be spread, shed for you for covering up the forgiveness of sins, making it accessible that a new relationship can be formed. Right In the same way that a new identity was continued to be formed upon that son, saying, I know I've messed it up, but uh, make me a slave. And yet it, there's this new relationship form, formed saying, no, you're my son. And a transformation that takes place. And Jesus is, is, saying, is saying, do you understand in the eating and drinking of these elements you're being reminded of the room that is made for you in the person of God. Room that is made for you in the family of God through what Jesus has done. Do you get this? And if you eat it you're not and drink it, you're not only just receiving that for yourselves, you're also remembering that to be a part of that family, to be included into that circle of God's family, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, to be included in that is also to be an agent, to make room for others. That that circle is never closed. The person of God is never closed. Not in this time. Not in this moment. It is open. And to be an inclusive people is to know that there is always a Father who is looking. Right? Always on the hunt to include, to rename, and to remake. In eating and drinking of these, we are in solidarity saying, yes, I've been included, and yes, I will be an includer. I will make room in me for those who have broken my trust, right, who have offended, have wronged me, be it your parents, be it your friends, be it your spouse, right, be it your enemy, be it the church members, be it myself, be people who disagree with you, whatever it is, we'll make room for relationship for the work of God. So will you stand? Oh, Father, who is like you, that your body would be broken for us, That you would include us into your family. That you would rename us. And so, right now, Lord, by the work of your Spirit, could you whisper? Would you call a name to your sons and daughters? Would you call out son? Would you call out daughter? Would you call out beloved? remind us of your remaking work as you include us into your person, God. The remaking work of the forgiveness of sin. that You not only forget it, but it's as far as the east is from the west. You forgive it and you forget it. And you begin to transform us. That is your, our destiny by your work in us. Thank you for that work. We say yes to it, Lord. So we receive that for ourselves and Lord by your grace and by your spirit. May we not only receive it, but may we extend this work to others. In our eating and drinking, Lord, we want to say yes to those things. To the things of life. Amen. If you can agree, eat and drink. Amen.
1: So I was given the privilege of getting to pray specifically for this teaching and the service this morning. And the two words that I sensed from God was revelation and clarity, and I'm hoping that's what you're leaving this service with. My prayer for you all this week is that you would be transformed by God's perfect love, that you would go today with the revelation and clarity of God's embrace for you, knowing that you are in God's family and therefore part of God's work. And may your plans be interrupted by the overwhelming love of the Father. Now, before we go, I do have a friend who wanted to come, and he's been waiting a week to make a proclamation of God's goodness. So come on up, Andrew. Come on up. You can come up. And he asked to do this last Sunday, so I'm glad we have time and space to make it this Sunday. So what would you like to say to everybody?
0: Gracias, hallelujah. Hallelujah.
1: All right, thank you and you're dismissed.